Hello, my name is Emma Griffiths of Fife Historic Buildings Trust. Welcome to the Inverkeithing Heritage Regeneration Podcast. Episode 6. This podcast series refers somewhat flippantly to TripAdvisor, suggesting that Inverkeithing had a tourist economy before we'd even thought of tourist economies. Having started in episode one by looking at pirates and Inverkeithing's maritime connections and legacy, and then plague in episode two, today we're going to lighten the tone again somewhat, and we will be looking at saints and pilgrimage in medieval Inverkeithing. We know that modern-day Inverkeithing is spectacularly well served by transport links. The gaps between when trains are threading the, between the struts of the iconic painted rail bridge are surprisingly short. They seem to shuttle back and forth all the time. And the original Fourth Road Bridge and now the Queensferry Crossing as well hum with cars and buses and lorries. And while there are no longer passenger ferries across the Fourth, there are leisure craft and a surprising amount of shipping and marine freight traffic. I'm joined again today by archaeologist Dr Gavin McGregor of Northlight Heritage and Dr Tom Turpey of the University of Stirling and our project historian to explore the evidence and relationship of saints and pilgrimages to Inverkeithing and its remarkable heritage. Gavin, thanks for joining me again today. Can you begin with some helpful scene setting? Could you sketch in some big picture ideas of the earliest records and sites we have evidencing Christian religion in Scotland? Thanks, Emma. Um, the first real encounter with Christianity for some people was through the presence of the Romans in what is now southern Scotland in the first few centuries AD. In the 4th century AD, the Roman Emperor Constantine ceased persecution of Christians across the empire. He had a particular interest in York, and we know there was a bishop in York by AD 314. From here, Roman influence may have extended north through trade, military and diplomatic activities. After the Roman presence, it was the activities of Irish missionaries, such as Columba, which became particularly important in establishing monasteries and early churches in Scotland, such as at Iona and Whitholm, but then with further missionaries from Northumbria from monasteries such as Lindisfarne. However, the success of the early church was also impacted by the presence of Vikings and Anglo-Saxons in parts of Scotland. Much of the early evidence of Christianity in Scotland comes from carved stones, burial sites and other artefacts, such as rarely thriving handbells, bell shrines and reliquaries from about the 7th to 9th centuries AD. Excellent, amazing. I, I love it how you always bring the artefacts into it. Um, so if that was the picture in Scotland of, of early Christian um, sites and artefacts, can you describe the picture in Fife for us approximately? Was Zenfakeeding at the heart of things or was it on the fringes? Well, that's an interesting question, Emma. In the first few centuries AD, Fife was in the southern part of an emerging political entity, which we call Pictland. There was a Roman fort presence across the water in the Lothians, with, for example, the forts at Cramond, uh, where there was also possibly a Roman harbour. The example of the early 5th century AD Roman silver hoard at Traprain Law, uh, possibly a Roman diplomatic offering, contained silver spoons engraved with Christian iconography, including a Cairo symbol. Those are the first two letters in Greek of the name Christ. This shows local groups were almost certainly aware of Christianity and is supported by the presence of Pictish symbol stones like the Skeeth stone further around the Fife coast at Kilrennie. This stone probably dates to the 5th or 6th centuries AD, but others were still pagan and using different carved symbols and stones. There was almost certainly an important centre of Christianity at St Andrews, 
So by this time there were probably small timber churches at quite a few locations in Fife, potentially even in Verkeithing. Another example of Christian practice can be seen in burial rites with long kiss aligned to east-west being used. One example, Mayor's Craig near Newborough, is also associated with an early Christian handbell. The final example I want to share is on Inchcombe, not that far by boat on the Firth of Forth from Inverkeithing. Here there is an important carved stone called a hogback, which probably dates to the mid-10th century AD and shows Viking influences in the area. It's over one and a half metres long and had a humped shape along the top of which are carved possible roof tiles. On its sides are carved a cross and an image of a person with their arms outstretched, showing the Christian influences. But either end, bear-like beasts appear to have been present. Absolutely fascinating. Thank you very much, Gavin. Tom, if I can turn to you now, how important was the church and religion more specifically um, to the people of pre-modern Inverkeithing? Well, I think most of us probably associate the Middle Ages with a, a time of quite a significant religious influence, but really the the way in which religious belief and activities would have influenced and ordered the lives of a rich and poor alike um, in that period is actually quite difficult to conceive for us today. For example, the key moment of everyone's lives would have been marked by religious rituals from baptism, through confirmation, through marriage, to the last rites. Religious festivals combined with the agricultural seasons to, to shape the calendar, so it dictated when you could work when you wouldn't work, uh, when what you could eat and at what, what times a year you could eat, eat certain types of food and drink and even little things like when you would pay your rent um, a couple of times a year. And the teachings of the medieval church underpin mainstream beliefs about that morality, about the meaning of life and perhaps most importantly about what happened after death. Okay, so pretty influential, I think we can summarise it. So we have a picture of the part played by religion in the lives of both ordinary people and those to a certain extent who had wealth and power. But this subject um, of this podcast is about saints. So why were saints such an important part of medieval religion? Well, it, it was believed that the exceptional way in which a saint had lived or died gave them a special power that would allow them to directly intercede with God. And by venerating a saint, by doing things like praying to them, naming your children after them, going on pilgrimage to visit their relics, you could harness that power to benefit yourself, your family or your community. OK, so what did ordinary people actually ask saints to help them with? So this power meant that saints were called upon for assistance in times of crisis. So communities would parade their banners and relics of saints uh, during times of warfare or, or epidemic disease. Uh, medieval kings took relics and banners on campaign with them, on military campaigns. But for individuals and families, uh, saints provided much more specific defence against the misfortunes and vagaries of life. So things like illness in both people and animals, uh, poor weather, everyday problems that medieval science and medicine could do very little to remedy. Uh, but another key role that saints had was in belief about the afterlife. So central to orthodox belief in the later Middle Ages certainly was the idea of purgatory. 
that third place in between heaven and hell that pretty much everyone would expect to spend some time after they died. Now, purgatory was not a pleasant place. And by developing a personal relationship with a saint, it was believed that those holy men and women would intercede on your behalf to lessen the time that your soul would spend there. Thank you, Tom, um, for that summary. Uh, I know this is a subject on which you're both passionate and extremely knowledgeable, so I appreciate the simplifications. And also, I appreciate you relating your knowledge on the subject to Inverkeething. Are there particular saints associated with Inverkeething? Yes, well, Inverkeething does seem to have had its own saint. So there's a local tradition that a holy man called St Erat brought Christianity to Inverkeething. Uh, there's a small plaque on the parish church that records this, and a well in the town was called either Heriot's or St Erat's, so something similar. And in the parish uh, in, in Fordell, uh, the Hendersons, the local lairds, had a chapel dedicated to a St Theriot, uh, which is almost certainly the same person. Mm. Uh, so do we know who St Erat or Harriet or Therat was and why he's associated with Inverkeething? Well, there's two two local traditions. The, the sort of Inverkeething-based tradition says that he was from the 5th century and was a follower of St Ninian, one of the uh, supposed early saints of Scotland whose shrine was found at, at Galloway, uh, Whitthorn in Galloway. Um, and there's another tradition, sort of based more around Fordell, that suggests that Therot was perhaps from the 8th century and associated with either St Ternan or St Philan. Now, these traditions were not written down until fairly recently, and the earliest references at all to those two saints come from the 16th century. Um, so who he was, when he lived, and whether he existed at all is something of a mystery. I mean, he doesn't appear in the legends of St Ninian, or St Ternan, or St Philan, and he doesn't really appear at all in any medieval records. So what we're probably looking at here is a saint, a very local saint, with whose appeal never really stretched much beyond uh, the parish of Inverkeething. And that's quite common, there's lots and lots of saints across medieval Scotland in the Middle Ages who were very local in their sort of fan base. Hmm. Interesting. So um, it's a kind of a real time discovery exercise looking into this particular local saint. Um, setting that aside, and um, hopefully we'll be able to come back in a future episode and um, discuss some discoveries, but maybe there won't be any, which is also fine. We, we all know that we've exhausted the sources. But which saints do we know were venerated and prayed to or, you know, marked out in a special way by the people of the town? And, and how did they how did they show this veneration? Well, we're on rather firmer ground in terms of sources when we look at the parish church of Inverkeething. Now, that was dedicated to the apostle, St. Peter. And we there's a record of that dedication from at least the 15th century. And in addition to the high altar of that church, which would have been dedicated to Peter, there were as many as eight further altars in the parish church, each one dedicated to a different saint or a form of sort of relic devotion. So we have dedications in the church to the Holy Cross, to the Virgin Mary, to Michael, the Archangel, to John the Baptist, to Catherine of Alexandria, to the Holy Blood, to St. Lawrence of Rome and to St. Ninian of Whithorn. Hmm. Um, 
Interesting. St. Peter, there's an image of St. Peter also appears on the townhouse in Inverkeething on the crest um, with his characteristic keys. But who founded the altars within the church? So these were founded by wealthy townspeople and some of the local landowners. Um, their purpose was essentially commemoration of the dead, uh, which was a very important part of religious practice in the later Middle Ages. Um, at each altar, a priest known as a chaplain would perform masses and other prayers uh, for a list of people specified by the founder. Uh, and it was felt that by venerating that saint, uh, you could expect him or her to intervene on your behalf um, to lessen the time you spend in purgatory. So eight altars is quite a significant number for a parish church, and it's quite a clear indication of the, the wealth of late medieval Inverkeithing. Excellent, excellent. Um, so we know that there were local saints, some of which we know a little bit more about, um, and certainly places where people um, made exceptional um, sacrifices, or not sacrifices, but you know, certain rituals were um, played out. I expect many people may have dim school day recollections of Chaucer's Canterbury Tales, or indeed more recent ones, um, are there parallel pilgrimage routes in Scotland and are there any in which Inverkeeding features? Well, yes, lots of Scots in the Middle Ages would go to places like Canterbury and like Durham, but they also went to uh, domestic shrines. So there were hundreds of shrines in medieval Scotland dedicated to different saints based around miraculous crosses, miraculous images, all sorts of places. And two of the most important of these were found in Fife. So there was a shrine of St Andrew on the eastern tip of the county in the town that now bears his name and the shrine of St Margaret, which was found at Dunfermline, so not far up the road from Inverkeithing. And these were shrines that had an international clientele in the 12th and 13th centuries and would have attracted large numbers of pilgrims from Scotland, from England and probably further afield as well. Um, and because of that, quite a complex um, communication and hospitality network developed to cater for the needs of these pilgrims. Uh, pilgrims coming from the south would have used a ferry crossing across the River Forth known as the Queen's Ferry because it was reputedly founded by St Margaret and that Queen's Ferry crossing, uh, the northern end of that was located uh, just up the road from Inverkeething and the pilgrim road straight, led straight to the town. Excellent. Um... And how would this have impacted on the town? What, what, thinking back to the TripAdvisor um, <laughs> metaphor, what did that mean for Inverkeething? Well, that proximity that Inverkeething had to the ferry would have made it a very important stopping place. Um, the ferry traffic would have been slow. It would have probably taken most people uh, the best part of a day to get across. After which uh, there was a small chapel in North Queensbury dedicated to St. James, the patron saint of the pilgrims, um, at which they would have um, given their thanks for the safe crossing. Um, so for most people, I can imagine that would have taken most of the day. So the nearest spot at which you would find overnight accommodation would have been in McKeething. Uh, and we know that there was a hospital located on the road into the town from at least the 12th century. And from the 14th century, the Franciscan friars had built a hospice to house pilgrims and travellers. So in, as well as that sort of formal 
service for pilgrims. There would have been a lively trade in, in food and drink and accommodation um, in the town, particularly during the sort of peak pilgrim seasons around the feast days of saints like Margaret and Andrew. So basically Inverkeithing could be like one of the stops on the very well-known Camino de Santiago, but obviously with better scenery. So it, it might indeed have had five-star TripAdvisor status had such a thing existed. Gavin, do we know, are there any traces that remain today of these pilgrimage routes? Well, the Hospitium is a striking building in Vikithing, uh, and it's like a giant jigsaw puzzle uh, with different phases of rebuilding on its fabric. So it's well worth the contemporary walker having a look. As for a medieval pilgrim, it provides a good stopping point for a rest on a longer walk. From its gardens, it's possible to look down the medieval burgle plots, across the harbour, and over to the Firth of Forth and the Lothians beyond. While there are many changes, the landscape around Inverkeithing would still be familiar to the medieval pilgrim. Okay, so uh, so it's quite possible for us today to become um, to retrace those those medieval pilgrimage steps, and in fact, even see some of the buildings that that they would have seen. Thank you so much, Gavin and Tom, for um, for sharing your knowledge with us about saints and pilgrimage in early Scotland. Tom, is there somewhere people should go if they want to find out more about this subject? Yes, so the Fife Pilgrim Way, uh, which was launched in 2019, has its own website with lots of resources on pilgrimage and devotion to the saints in, in Fife. And more broadly, um, I've mentioned before on this podcast, the Atlas of Scottish History to 1707, which can be found online at scotlandsplaces.gov.uk. And that has some really nice maps of key churches and shrines in medieval Scotland. Brilliant. OK, Gavin and Tom, thank you so much. I was keen to walk more in Fife. Um, and I'm always keen to know more about Inverkeithing and its amazing heritage, but I'm definitely, definitely now going to explore more of the Pilgrim Way and the Fife Coastal Path. Thank you both so much for sharing your knowledge and enthusiasm with us today. Great, thank you. Thanks, Emma. Thanks for listening to the Inverkeithing Heritage Regeneration podcast. If you'd like to find out more about the project in Inverkeithing, or some of the other things we do at Fife Historic Buildings Trust, check out our website at www.fifehistoricbuildings.org.uk. You can use the website to get in touch. If you have any suggestions for subjects you'd like us to cover, if you have questions for our guests, or have views on these podcasts, we'd love to hear from you. Fife Historic Buildings Trust delivers the Inverkeithing Heritage Regeneration Project in partnership with Fife Council. Thanks for listening today, and thanks too to the project funders, Historic Environment Scotland and the National Lottery Heritage Fund.